You're listening to the J.D. Rucker Show. Let's begin. Friends, our food supply is under attack here in the United States of America and abroad, of course, as well. Across the globe, it's happening. But when we start feeling it here the way that we're already feeling it in the USA, that's a very bad sign that bodes very ill for not just us, but for the rest of the world. I will admit, I did not see this coming out at this pace. I've been thinking about food shortages for many, many years. It wasn't until approximately, you will say, 2019, 2020, when I really started diving deeper into the whole whole uh, conspiracy theory wing of the of the uh, internet. But you know, when I did, that's when I was reaffirmed to a notion that I'd already had, the idea that they were trying to control our food supply, make it to where eventually they would have a strong enough foundation for which they would be able to to maintain control, to, to gain and then maintain control of us. And my thought, at least before the last two or three years, my thought was that it was going to be slow and methodical. They were going to utilize genetically modified organisms. They were going to to uh, really crack down on on the, the use of organic food or the, the distribution of organic food. They were going to attack organic farming. I was off. I was off because they are accelerating their plans much faster than I had anticipated at least at least you know a decade or so ago when I first started thinking along these lines. What I missed was their the tenacious manner at which they are coming after the food supply. They need this to be rapid, and it is rapid. I mean, if you've been paying attention for the last two or three years, you'll know that, yes, we are seeing extremely high prices. Food inflation is much higher than inflation on most other, other um, uh, in- indicators. Then, of course, are the food shortages that we're seeing. It's getting harder and harder to get the foods that we were able to get, not just because they're, they're priced higher, because in many cases, they're not available. And there's, there's a third factor that's not getting nearly enough attention, but it's real. Starvation here in the United States of America is at a decades high, decades long high. It is. You would think, oh, well, surely we would have heard about that, except we wouldn't. If you stop and think about it, knowing that their intention, they being the powers that be, and their minions in the uniparty swamp, as well as the corporate media industrial complex, they don't want us to know that there is already massive amounts of starvation here in the United States, because to do so would turn sentiment even further against the open borders that we have. When Americans are starving, it's hard to justify bringing in more people to then have to take care of. And that's already bad enough if people aren't starving, if people knew that how many Americans were starving as well, then that sentiment would get even worse. So they're keeping that as the dirty little secret that very few ever talk about. But of course, we're we're going to talk about it here. Today's show, we're going to be talking a lot about food because it's very important. Let's face it. You can't live without it. You might be able to live longer without food than without water, but not by much. I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, we don't have any, very much food. I guess we'll be able to to survive for a couple of years. Most most adults, most healthy adults, can only survive approximately a month without food, maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. We'll go to the old biblical notion of 40 days without food. That's about the the breaking point, as long as you have water. If you don't have water, then you got two or three days, maybe four if you're if you're super hydrated and healthy before going into dehydration mode. But yeah, they are going after it. So we're going to be talking about it today. Uh, I am for full disclosure, I do. I am part owner of a long-term storage food company. But here's the thing: if I wasn't part owner of this long-term storage food company, wouldn't matter. I still would be talking about exactly what we're talking about today because this truly is 
one of the various existential threats. We've talked about the border crisis, existential threat. We've talked about the war on religion, existential threat. We've talked about the war on our freedoms, existential threat. And yes, the current war on food is an existential threat. Now, we have to look back to, of course, I've mentioned many times, Henry Kissinger, the godfather of modern-day globalism. His famous words, he had uh, three, three tenets, basically, for global domination. The first one was, who controls the food supply controls the people. That's us. We don't, we, they want to control us. It's part of the depopulation and control agenda. They want to control as many of us as possible, and those that they can't control, they want to eliminate, depopulate, if you will, whether that means arresting us or just letting us die, or even coming after us and, and jailing and or killing us or both. <laughs> Fun stuff. Great times. Great, great, great time to be alive. And it actually is. I, I make, make, I say that sarcastically, but in reality, I am very. I feel that we are honored. This is a, a time of blessing because this does give us an opportunity, to demonstrate our faith. This gives us an opportunity, to stay true, to be tried and tested, have our faith tested, have it, you know, face trials and tribulations that could make our faith waver because through those trials and tribulations, assuming that we are able to maintain our strong faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, hey, this really is a, a time of blessing. Look at the disciples. Many were, were very pleased even as they were being literally killed. They, they loved the fact that they were becoming martyrs. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of us are going to be turned into martyrs because of the food supply, but this does pose one of the very, very many dangers that we're going to face here in the near future. And the way that we react, the way that we prepare, the way that we share, the way that we get the word out, these are, in my humble opinion, tests of our, of our true faith. So first story, I'm going to go to Natural News. This is actually an article that came out about two weeks ago by Bell Carter. But I saved it because <laughs> I knew I knew I was going to, to be accumulating these stories about food and have a, a show that was essentially dedicated to food. And this was going to be a good place to start because the place where we can see it the easiest, whether you're a conspiracy theorist or not, whether you, you've been paying attention or not, at the very least, you know that food prices are going up. Not just in, in the grocery stores, at restaurants, they're going up so, so high. I remember I was... The first real shocker came to me. Can I out this company? Yeah, I guess I can. The first real shocker came to me when I went to go buy a bucket of chicken at at uh, Popeyes. Now they had had this special at the time. You could buy for whatever reason it was an odd one. It wasn't on the menu. You had to know about it. But you could buy a uh, an eleven piece. They had the ten piece on the menu. They had the twelve piece. But if you bought an eleven piece meal. For whatever reason, that one was 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 much cheaper. It was like like 16, 17 bucks, if I recall. And I went to go buy it and they said, Oh, we're not offering that anymore. I was like, okay, well, how much is a 10? And they're like, like 39 bucks. I'm like, what? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You were selling eleven like last week for like 16 bucks or 17 bucks, and now you like doubled the price, more than double the price for one less? And they're like, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they didn't care, but but yeah, that was the real, real shocker to me. And I, my numbers might be off. This is over a year ago when that struck me and I didn't take notes or, well, you know, on this day, <laughs> I probably should have. Anyway, let's get to this this uh, Big Mac article. For those of you who love Big Macs, well, don't. They're, you shouldn't love them. You shouldn't love McDonald's food at all or really any fast food or really any food that you can't source. We'll talk about that later. Let's start with this one. Because some, and I, hey, look, I have eaten my share of McDonald's. I mean, look at me. Do I not look like somebody who's eaten his share of McDonald's? I definitely have. 
Let's get to the article. Customers of fast food giant McDonald's are not spared by inflation. The fast food chain's Big Mac extra value meal, a combo of the iconic burger, medium beverage, and a medium fry, now costs $18 in some locations, up $10 from 2018 when former President Donald Trump was still president. A viral video of an enraged diner uh, resurfaced wherein he claimed that the fast food franchise is no longer affordable for the everyday American. Quote, so I get there's a labor shortage, I get there's a wage increase, and a number of other things, flabbergasted Idaho man Christopher Olive began in a uh, clip posted to TikTok last year. Critics blame President Joe Biden's terrible economic policies, dubbed Bidenomics, saying that the ever-surging costs of supposedly affordable fast food could impact the 2024 election. Ooh, like they're thinking about the election. Quote, those Bidenomics economic, or Biden's economic plans have driven prices overall uh, about 15% higher since Biden came in. On essential like on essentials like food and energy, they're up close to 25%. A New York Post article pointed out. Equivalently, think of it as having a having slashed the income of a typical family by close to $5,000. Mortgage rates are cruising toward 8% as the medium home prices hover near 420 thousand dollars they're going after groceries they're going after fast food they're going after all of it folks they really are and it's not an unfair statement to say that the, yes they are making food of all types even fast food they're making it unaffordable for the average american and that's by design you know people say oh bidenomics has been a failure no it has not bidenomics is working precisely the way that the architects of Bidenomics wanted it to work. If anything, it's, it's outperforming expectations. It's tanking the economy and hurting the American people better than they had expected. You have to understand this. If you sit back and you, and you still believe the, the corporate media uh, talking point or even the, the, the Republican, the, the uniparty swamp Republican wing talking point that that biden and the biden harris regime have failed miserably at this and failed miserably at that and they're failing and they're failures and they they just can't get the job done no that's not true they're getting their job done until you recognize that you cannot fight this enemy you cannot fight this threat if you assume that they're trying their best and failing trying their best to to make things better for us and just failing at it, then you are underestimating the evil that we face. This is intentional. This is absolutely intentional. And not to go on a, a sidebar, but perhaps the easiest way to see that is to see the action coming out of the White House, coming out of the Democrats, coming out of even the, most in the uniparty swamp on the right side, the so-called Republicans, when we see the border surge that's happening right now, today. They're setting records. Folks, it's December. Okay, December's the slow period. December's the time of year where we should be seeing the least amount of illegal aliens crossing over, and we're seeing the most. How is that possible, right? I mean, generally speaking, it's colder. They don't like to travel in the cold, right? It's um, near Christmas time. It's why well, leave now. Let's spend one last Christmas in with my family before marching off to war in America, which is literally what I was hoping they would be saying as far as waiting, not <laughs> coming for war. <laughs> that part, I'm not happy with them saying, but the fact that they are doing it, uh, I was hoping they would do it later, but they're not. They're not waiting. That should concern us. That should concern everybody. And if that wasn't part of the plan, 
then the Biden-Harris regime would be doing something about it, but they're doing literally nothing, okay? They're doing less about it today than they were when they first came into office. And their reaction to it is to do more nothing. This is one of those things where if they really cared about, oh, you know, people, uh, especially on the right, we talk about, oh, this is going to hurt them in the election, this is going to hurt them in the election. They don't care about the election for two reasons. Number one, if they want to win the election, they'll just steal it, just like they did in 2020. But number two, let's say that they're thinking, oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to steal it that much. You know, Trump's going to absolutely obliterate Biden. I still don't think that Biden's going to be the nominee. I really don't. I think it's a, it's a done deal. I would make a bold prediction, and somebody save this clip if you'd like. Bookmark it so that if it doesn't happen, you can call me an idiot. Or bookmark it so that when it does happen, you can say, oh my gosh, Rucker was right. My prediction is this, that there will be zero Democrat voters who actually vote for the eventual nominee for the Democrat for the Democrat Party. I don't think that whoever is going to actually be the Democrat nominee is going to be on a single ballot. My prediction is that around the time of the, I, I don't want to get into timing because that's too specific, but at a certain point, basically when it's too late for anybody else to mount an effort, Biden is going to say, and probably Kamala Harris as well, they'll come out together and they'll say, you know, we set out to, to do this in one term. We said that from the beginning, we're going to do one term and out, you know, we did our term and now it's time for us to, to pass it to younger people. I'd like to introduce you to whoever, Michelle Obama, Gavin Newsom, somebody we have no idea about, Oprah, okay? I don't know who it's going to be, but I think that that person will then just get the delegates, the delegates will meet at the Democrat National Convention and say, okay, well, I, I, it's, it's, I guess it's, uh, it's Michelle. Congratulations, Michelle and, and VP Gavin. <laughs> that's your that's your ticket and people will be like well i didn't vote for that but i guess it's not so bad democrat and democrats will be like this oh, that's uh, i wish i would have gotten to vote for this but but i guess they're definitely better than joe so i guess we should be happy about it my pred prediction is that not a single democrat voter will vote for whoever is actually the nominee for president not at least during the primaries because they won't even be known about during the primaries it will be after the primaries this is why when people say oh you know this is really going to hurt joe during the during the election this is really going to hurt joe uh, next november joe's not going to be around next november folks i really don't think he is and again if he is then they're just going to cheat anyway and try to steal it so they don't really care about what what uh, blowback there is from their actions today what turmoil they cause how much they harm the country because from their perspective, they're going to get a fresh reset in the middle of next year sometime. They're going to get a fresh reset that says, hey, you know what? <laughs> you guys are right. Joe did a terrible job. We love you, Joe, but maybe the dementia sit in, whatever. Don't worry. Me and Michelle, we got this. We got this for you. <laughs> Gosh, I don't like Gavin Newsom. Please don't let it be Gavin Newsom. I would almost rather it be Michelle Obama. No, I wouldn't. Take that back. Scratch that. I wouldn't want it to be either of them. I don't... Oh. It's... It just gets worse. You know, Joe Biden has been worse than Barack Obama. As impossible as that is to think, he actually has been. Barack Obama set the stage for him. Barack Obama laid down the the, the roots, the seeds for cultural Marxism to to be promoted. This this woke woke society that we're now engulfed in, that's a, a direct result of the actions of Barack Obama. He laid the seeds. He didn't get to stay, stick around long enough to see them, them bloom, 
but maybe he did. A lot of people still think that if this really is just his third term, that Joe Biden really is just a placeholder. And if that is the case, by the way, that would be the only scenario in which Joe Biden is allowed to continue and where they cheat to try to get him to win again. This is why somebody asked me, do you really think that Trump's the right guy for the job? This is literally just today. Somebody asked me early this morning, is Trump really the right person for the job? And I said, number one, he has he has been uh, you know, we've already had him for four years. We already know what we're getting. There's no no question marks, no loose ends there to tie up. Number two, and this is the most important part, a second term president is exponentially more powerful and and uh, able to do more than a first term president. A first term president has to think about the reelection, so they have to be more cautious. Second term presidents, that's when they're building legacy. And we want a president such as Trump who is building his legacy. People say, you know, Trump's going to seize power. He's going to be a tyrant. No, Trump wants to go down in history. Trump's ego wouldn't allow him to be a tyrant. Trump's ego wants people to do things because they want to do him. They want to follow him. They love him. That's what he wants. He wants a legacy of being being one of, if not the greatest president of all time, overcoming all this this turmoil, overcoming two impeachments, probably three once he gets into office again, overcoming all these these tremendous odds and still making America greater than it was when he started. He wants to go down in the history books and he wants to set the stage for the uh, potential political careers of the rest of his family, his kids. So don't tell me he's going to be a tyrant. How did I get on that topic? Anyway, point is, is that people ask, oh, you know, should maybe we should look at, at DeSantis or Nikki Haley. Maybe they would be be a better fit. You know, maybe they, we would there would be less turmoil. And we're seeing that argument. There'd be less turmoil. Look, he's already been kicked off the Colorado ballot. And, and what if the Supreme Court doesn't overturn that? Then it's going to be hard for him to be able to win. And, and maybe we really should look at the other guys. Listen, my philosophy on that is this. Trump is way ahead. Okay. He's way ahead. And we need to push him as far as possible. We need to unite the party around him, not the other way around. We can't try to, can't tell me, oh, don't worry, DeSantis will be able to unite all the MAGA guys. Okay, DeSantis has, has just trashed Trump too much. Trump has trashed DeSantis too much. There is no love there. There's no way that if DeSantis turns out to be the nominee because the deep state's able to take out Trump, there's no way that he's going to get the massive support uh, from from the um, from the MAGA camp, there's no way that he's going to get. Lit- Trump is at literally more than double the black support that he had in 2020. He's doubled that, which was already very high at that point. At that point, his the black vote for Trump in 2020 was higher than anybody since I think Nixon, if I recall. I think Nixon was the last Republican uh, candidate to to get that high of a black vote. It might have been might have been Reagan, but I think it was actually Nixon. Anyway, point is is that. Is that there? The Sanders won't get that. And don't even get me started on Nikki Haley. Okay, Nikki Haley, could she win? If she's going against Joe Biden? Yeah, I think she could. I think it's possible. Yeah, because she gets that that middle of the road vote. She gets, I guess, the more lucid, lucid Democrats, the more moderate Democrats. It's possible that she could beat Joe Biden. But do, do we even want that? Would she possibly be even worse? Okay, having a neocon in there is can be worse and her her fiscal policies are absolutely horrendous her ideas about essentially ending anonymity on the on the internet making it to where you can't have social profiles unless you've got your your photo id ready i mean she is authoritarian in many ways far worse than than even joe biden people will say well what about rfk jr and you know what i'm not gonna wow you get me, yeah, you got me going on politics. What was, no, no, no. The point I was trying to get at, let me, let me, rein it in, Rucker, rein it in. 
point I was trying to get is this. <laughs> Long ago, I, I was trying to say this, that all of these things that we're seeing, these challenges, such as with, with the, uh, the food at McDonald's, such as all the prices, all those wars, all the open borders, all the strife, don't go around thinking that all of this is just failure on the Biden-Harris regime's part. What we're seeing is success on their part. Just saying. This next story comes from Kit Knightley over at Off Guardian. Okay, we already established, we've already established that that restaurant prices, grocery store prices were also mentioned in that article, that they're going to to be skyrocketing. What about what about uh, farmers? You know, maybe maybe there's a problem with the food supply, and we know this is happening in Europe. We now know it's starting to happen in the United Kingdom. We've heard rumors that it's going to start happening here. We need to pay attention. This is not one of those things where, oh, don't worry, that can never happen here. I never want to hear those words from any American again. You know, when we see things happening in Italy, in the Netherlands, in the UK, and people say, oh, that can never happen here, I just want to slap them because it can and it likely will. And that goes in both directions, by the way. I don't want to be Debbie Downer here. Okay, what could also happen here that, that's happening in, in other places around the world is that a populist or libertarian-minded or even a conservative candidate can actually win the, a national election. We're seeing that in unprecedented levels. So don't tell me that that can't happen here in the United States either, because it can as well. It's not just the bad stuff, even though, unfortunately, mostly the bad stuff. This article by Kit Knightley over at off-guardian.org. Why is the government paying farmers to stop farming? Inside the UK's Food Security Report, on November 29th, the British Parliament's Cross-Party Environmental Audit Committee published a new report on environmental change and food security. The timing of the report is more than interesting, considering the UN's COP28 summit published its own declaration on sustainable agriculture, resilient food systems, and climate action, which the UK signed, just two days later. But I'm sure that's just a coincidence. The report claims, amongst other many other things, that we, quote, need to adapt our food and farming systems to become more resilient to the effects of climate change and biodiversity loss. Now, I think everybody knows what climate change is, but we're, we'll get into biodiversity loss. That's something that, that in itself is a conspiracy theory that needs to be discussed, that you need to be aware of, because we already know the weaponization of the, the climate change hoax. Once we start getting into biodiversity loss, now we're really going to go over so many people's heads, but people are still going to nod those those heads as they're watching the, the facts go over them. Oh, okay, biodiversity loss. Nod my head, nod my head. I guess that's something we should concern ourselves about. It's not, but hey, whatever. Let's get back to the article. This is actually an inversion of the usual argument. The standard line is that we should change our eating habits to chew, to prevent climate change. The report still claims this too, but we are able to uh, we are being told that we must change our eating habits or climate change will cause us to starve to death. Okay, it's not just change your eating habits for the sake of the environment. It's change your eating habits, or we're going to die from from food and starvation prior to dying from from the Earth being 1.5 degrees hotter than it is yesterday, or something. Whatever their claims are, their claims always change. I I, I fail to keep up. But you'll be pleased to know, while the reason we need to change may have altered, what we actually have to do remains the same: eat less meat. <laughs> just eat less meat, a lot less meat. That's all. That's all they want you to do. The report repeats countless times the Climate Change Committee's recommendations that the UK reduces its meats, meat and dairy consumption by 20% by 2030 and by 35% by 2050. Those, it's funny, those two numbers, they keep popping up, 2030, 2050. I know they're round numbers. They're easy to throw those round numbers out there. But there is 
2030 keeps popping up a lot. Of course, we've all heard about Agenda 2030. There's the notion that I've brought up before on my show, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you know, and I'm not picking dates here. Don't don't say, oh, he's, he's, he's declaring the, the dates of the apocalypse. He's, you know, no, I'm not. I just think it's interesting that depending upon when Jesus Christ was born, scholars say that he was probably born sometime between, between 4 B.C. and 1 B.C., okay? If he were born right around 3 B.C., then that means that his death would have been in, at 30 A.D., okay? And what happened 1,000 years prior to 30 A.D.? That would be 970 B.C., which just happens to be the year that King David died. Now, of course, if you fast forward, the math is easy. If you fast forward from the death of King David, you go 1,000 years forward. That could be the death of Jesus Christ, depending upon the day of his actual birth and death. But then you, f you fast forward 2,000 years from there, that's where we get to 2030. Probably just a coincidence, probably no prophetic bearing whatsoever, except it probably does. But but again, I don't I don't like to make any any claims about dates or prophecy. That is way above my pay grade. I just I just report the facts. But yeah, 2030, we know that it's something crazy. It's not just it's not just the agenda 2030. It's not just because it's a round number. There's something that's brewing leading up to 2030. I'm not saying please don't take that as oh, we've got we've got uh, six and six years and a few days. That's not what I'm saying, folks, by any means. I think that things are going to lead up to 2030 and that things are going to get really, really bad. Oh, maybe next year. Could be 2024. I think a lot of things are going to get really bad and we're going to think, man, things got really bad. But when I think that things are going to get really, really, really bad, we'll start in 2025 and then get even worse in 2026. Again, not that's not a nothing to do with Bible Bible prophecy there, that's based upon the trajectory of the world and the nation that I'm looking at today, that all of us can see today. Don't forget, I keep my, my finger to the pulse of as much news, both conservative and alternative media. I watch this far too much, far more than, than your average person, because as the editor at thelibertydaily.com, I got to read like, like anywhere from 1,500 to 2,500 headlines every single day, okay? I have to keep my finger on that pulse because we upload, uh, we, we publish and post links to anywhere from 130 to to 200 articles or videos or both per day so it is <laughs> it's a fun job i don't want to say it's challenging it's too much fun i'm actually i'm actually very blessed to have that as one of my one of my many jobs but anyway let's get back to let's get back to this uh this article just like the push to uh, cl change climate into a public health crisis, inverting this argument is about creating a sense of threat, about scaring people. It's always about scaring people. But you'll be pleased to know while they're... Oh, I already covered that. Sorry, apologies. I got stuck on the whole 2030 thing. In a blatant rhetorical trick, it tries to make this figure, for this figure, the 20% and 35%, tries to make this figure some kind of compromise by pointing out that some of the witnesses, some of their witnesses, the noted lunatic George Moonbiat, or I like to call him Moonbiat, Moonbat, um, advocated eating zero meat or animal products of any kind. The report is full of this kind of manipulative language. For example, on page 48, the authors claim that the government does not believe it has a role to tell people what to eat. I'm not going to say, I, I got nothing. I mean, I can't respond to that because it's literally exactly the opposite of what they're, what they're actually doing. Their, their words do not match their actions. But then they proceed to quote testimony from experts who tell them 
that they have a responsibility to tell people what to eat. Huh. Don't imagine that. Sarah Pritchard argues people aren't informed or sensible enough to make these decisions. You're all idiots. We're idiots. We're stupid. That's what they think of us. While Professor Tim Lang essentially argues that we eat as chosen for us anyway. Hmm. That's a different take. <laughs> hey, folks, don't worry. We're going to tell you what to eat. We're already telling you what to eat. You just don't know it. Now we're telling you that we're going to tell you what to eat. And now it'll be out in the public. So here's your, your bug burger. There's a quote from, from Tim Lang. Everyone thinks they choose their diet. We don't, actually. We choose it by race, by class, by family, by gender, by culture, by when we were brought up, by the power of advertisers and their expenditure. Nearly one billion dollars, I'm sorry, one billion euros, pounds, sorry, looking at them, looking at that wrong. There's so many symbols. Nearly one, one billion pounds is spent on advertising food in Britain, and it is overwhelmingly the ultra-processed food that gets the advertising. There's very little advertising, let alone national guidance, for eating more appropriately. And that's, hey, that's the best thing we've heard all day. If you take nothing away from this article, and you will take more more away from, from today's show, but if you take nothing away from this article, other than that, that's enough. We are manipulated into trusting whatever food they, they want us to trust. This is why I am such an advocate of sourcing your food. Know what you're eating. Know what farms they're coming from. Make sure they're coming from farms and pastures, not coming from some lab or some Petri dish. Don't accept substitutes unless you absolutely have to. And when I say absolutely have to, like for some of us, for example, you know, I, I know somebody who can't drink milk, but they love milk. So they, they drink pea milk. And when I say pea milk, I'm saying from like peas is in the legumes, not peas is in like pea. That's gross. But uh, they drink pea milk. And I've actually tried it. and It's actually kind of good. Okay, I like to stick with my regular cow's milk, but that, but that's that's just me. Um, but but like sugar substitutes, okay? They always say for years they've always said, oh, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. But I've heard that like monk fruit can be good. You know, do your own research. I'm not going to tell you which sugar substitute to use. I would say this: stop eating sugar. Okay, reduce your carb intake dramatically. Whatever people were were saying, especially the American Heart Association and all these various doctors and nutritionists for decades. Whatever they're saying basically about fat, it's really, fat's not the real culprit here. Carbs are the real culprit. And I'm not saying this as a scientist or a nutritionist or a dietitian or a doctor or anything like that. I'm not giving you medical advice or, or dietary advice from a position of, of authority. I'm telling you my personal opinion, the research that I've done, I think sugar's the bad guy. Okay? I really do. Um... And I will say this about the ketogenic diet. One of these days, I'll find me a, a keto sponsor since I talk about it so much. I don't have one yet. But but uh, one thing I can say about the ketogenic diet is that it does, it truly legitimately enhances your brain. If for any other reason, you know, it's just to, to keep your brain active and, and faster, legitimately faster. Like, it's funny, you can probably tell shows, if I ever break keto and I'm, I'm on, on glucose again or glycogen or whatever that stuff is, you can usually tell because I sound more like Eeyore than I sound like, you know, and sometimes when I'm like in super heavy, heavy keto mode, all of a sudden I sound like Ben Shapiro. And I don't like it, but I still sound like it. And I can't help myself. <laughs> it's not drugs, folks. It's just ketones. But but I digress. I'm not, not advocating the keto diet, by the way. That's everybody's choice. I am advocating a reduction, dramatic reduction in sugars. I think I actually even have an article about that by Dr. Joseph Mercola. Um, we probably aren't going to get to it because I've got a lot of other food articles to get to. As a matter of fact, let's just let's just move on from that one because you get you get the idea. They are coming after the food supply in in Europe and in the United Kingdom. 
They are doing it for the sake of climate change. They are doing it in a way that is designed to, to keep us in the dark. But it's not just countries. It is the bad guys, the other bad guys out there, such as, um, which we call it, Slay. Uh, Slay News has this article. Um, the United Nations, there we go. Sorry, <laughs> as my ketones fail me and I, I can't read the, the letters UN. What does UN mean? Oh, I guess that means, what is it? Yeah, un, the un. United Nations demands a crackdown on uh, on food supply to fight climate change. The United Nations is demanding that uh, governments around the world. Oh, you know what? Let's go to a quick break. Well, let me get to this article after the break. Let's let's go to a quick break first, and then when we return, I'll talk about Frank Bergman's article over at Slay News. So stand by. I think I've made it very clear over the last couple of years that I am a big, huge fan of physical precious metals. I've worked with multiple companies during that time, and I've uh, finally found one that I can wholeheartedly endorse, not just because they do good business, they do it the right way, they don't try to rip people off, but perhaps more importantly, because they are a Christian company. They they check off two major boxes, at least as far as I'm concerned. Genesis Gold Group does does fantastic work helping people transfer their their IRAs, their 401ks, their government retirement plans, whatever you've got, you know, the, with your money being probably invested into woke ESG funds without your knowledge, or maybe even with your knowledge, uh, risky, risky endeavors. Hey, now's the time. When you look around, you see inflation, you see the banks doing their thing, oftentimes closing or even just staying open and closing your accounts. When you see what's happening with recession, stagflation, bricks de-dollarization it's it's concerning but you don't have to be concerned at least not with your life's savings you can go to jdrgold.com that's jdrgold.com contact genesis gold group and see what they can do to help you it's i mean it's worth a a, a try right <laughs> at least at least see what they have to say they're not going to try to sell you you know give you hey we'll give you ten thousand dollars in free silver if you just you know transfer and don't worry we're only making a 299 dollar fee off of it you know we this is free silver it fell off a truck i i, I don't even know what they say but they, they won't try to do anything like that they're just going to deal with you honestly and uh, and help you to secure your life savings go to jdrgold.com for genesis gold group all right let's get to this story by by frank bergman over at slaynews.com un demands crackdown on food supply to fight climate change this is not a reiteration of the previous story this is this is uh this is just believe it or not this is just another example of another globalist organization that's trying to tell you what you can eat, how much you can eat, where you can get it, how much you can get it, what you can get it with. They want control. The United Nations is demanding that governments around the world launch a coordinated crackdown on the global food supply in order to fight climate change. The call was made by the UN's Food and Agricultural Organization, the FAO. Remember those those letters because they might not be familiar to you today or very commonly heard today, but they will be more and more and more commonly heard, especially as we start getting into more public-private partnerships pertaining to the food supply and distribution to the masses, to the people, to to you and me as we, we are given our lab-grown meats and genetically modified Bill Gates-style organic vegetables and stuff like that. The head of the FAO is former Chinese Communist Party official uh, Ku Dongyu, who 
served as China's Vice Minister of Agriculture and Rural Affairs. If you've been watching my show recently, you'll know that I talked about Mr. Ku Dongyu just the other day um, in a similar scenario, a similar situation. But I want to, I want to promote this this concept and get this word out because people, folks, friends, we have to take this seriously. The unelected UN is demanding that sovereign nations place place strict limits on their agricultural uh, industries, specifically meat and dairy production to comply with the World Economic Forum's net zero targets for Agenda 2030, as noted before. On Sunday, the FAO published a report uh, commanding policymakers to substantially alter agricultural markets to align the global agricultural system with the WEF's green agenda. Yes, the World Economic Forum, in conjunction with the United Nations, in conjunction with the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, and Bill Gates, and George Soros, and Klaus Schwab, and all the bad guys, and Q Dong Yu, and the Chinese Communist Party. Folks, when it's funny, because when we talk about conspiracies, right, we talk about conspiracy theories. I never use that phrase as a pejorative. There are conspiracies, period. You'd have to be an idiot to think that there aren't people conspiring to achieve their goals, conspiring behind their backs to manipulate or use or control or even depopulate us. It's happening. And unfortunately, all we have right now are theories. All we can do is speculate. I can guess that things are going to be bad in 2024, worse in 2025, and really, really bad in 2026. That's a guess. But even though a lot of my guesses, a lot of my speculation turns out to be unfortunately very accurate, sometimes I do get it wrong. I really thought that the food attacks on the food supply wouldn't start for another two or three or five years. I was wrong. They're pushing it harder and harder and harder. But let's not just say, oh, you know, they're using buzzwords like WEF and UN. Yeah, they are. I am. We are. But they're not buzzwords. This is reality, my friends. Reality. Despite the FAO claiming that the move seeks to save the planet for the greater good, the motivations of the organizations have been called into question by people like me and you, I'm sure. I'm sure. FAO Chief Dong Yu has been repeatedly accused of using his past, or I'm sorry, his post at the unelected global institution to advance Beijing's specific interests, according to Politico. The outlet, the outlet notes that Dong Yu has ignored other issues, such as food shortages and hunger crises around the world, focusing on efforts to crack down on Western nations' agricultural industries. As a quote from the FAO report, they say, providing healthy food for all today and tomorrow is crucial, as is aligning agri-food. Here's that statement again, uh, uh, variation. This is not the same statement that I said earlier, by the way. This is a different statement from a different organization right around the same time. As is aligning agri-food systems transformation with climate actions. Agri-food systems should address food security and nutritional needs, but they host a large number of actions aligned with mitigation, adaptation, and resilience objectives. Remember those words, mitigation, okay? Mitigation of what? What are they trying to mitigate? They will claim it's the the, uh, actions or the, um, the effects of climate change. They'll claim it's the actions of Western industrial nations, they'll claim it's it's the various wars, they'll claim it's it's everything. They'll claim everything needs to be mitigated, and we're the only ones that can do the mitigating. Adaptation. It's not them that have to adapt. It's you they expect to adapt. They want you to make changes in your life. Make changes that will 
save the planet, that will will help the greater good. And unfortunately, listen, if they truly believed that this would be the case, I could almost say, okay, so let's take science versus science. But science won't help us. The science says they're wrong. Science is crystal clear. Okay, lab-grown meat is 25 times more harmful to the environment than pasture-raised meat. So don't tell me that they that they're using the science to declare this. They're they're manipulating the science to fit their needs. And when it comes to adaptation, they're not talking about adaptation of of their, you know, they're going to be eating filet mignon and, and lobster. We're going to be told to eat uh, lab-grown meat or crickets. They're going to be drinking cow's milk. We're going to be drinking pea milk. And I'm not talking about the legumes here, folks. And then resilience. Who's got to be resilient? Who's got to be compliant? Who's got to be be able to, to just keep taking and bounce back? You can do it. We're all in this together, folks. They're not going to be resilient. They're going to be pampered. This is, it's funny because there was a time when I used to be against the, uh, you know, any notion that talks about redistribution of wealth, and that usually leads with, you know, disparity between the the mega rich and the poor. I used to think, oh, every time they're, they're, they go down that road, they're talking about socialism. But now I realize that in many ways they're talking about crony capitalism, which is not capitalism. Crony capitalism is almost more opposite of true capitalism than even socialism is. Crony capitalism is where, hey, you know, I mean, crony capitalism is like the Hunger Games. <laughs> no, I've never seen them, but I, I know enough about them. I've got enough children to know enough about the movies or the books or whatever that, you know, you got the the super rich and then you got everybody else, right? This is what they're they're trying to create. And again, that's through crony capitalism, not through real capitalism and not even through socialism. That is, they want to install, so uh, actually uh, neo-Marxism is what they're trying to install through their concepts of stakeholder capitalism, through their, uh, you know, the great reset, all this stuff. You will own nothing and you will be happy. This That's neo-Marxism. But it's only going to be us, those who aren't prepared. Those are the people that are going to have to be be uh, adapting. They're the people that, that have to be resilient. It's not going to be the people that are actually making these stupid policies. That's for sure. They're going to be flying in their private jets, eating Wagyu burgers. The report asserts that individuals in wealthier nations can gain from reduced meat consumption. It's always that's the always a sales pitch. You know, it's like the the Inflation Reduction Act, right? <laughs> the Inflation Reduction Act was about the Green New Deal. It was about putting more money towards green green initiatives. It, it wasn't intended. There was nothing in it that could possibly reduce inflation, as we've seen. And it hasn't, okay? Inflation has been reduced. Uh, and it's not that inflation has been, re- inflation has been reduced, but it's not like prices are going down. It's just they're not going up as fast as they were. That's what they're calling a victory now. That's, that's you know, reducing inflation. But it's not as a result of the reduc- uh, Inflation Reduction Act at all. It's a result of, we've had so much inflation, so many rate hikes, and now we're finally to the point where it's starting to kick in and we're starting to, to, uh, to slow down the degradation of our economic system here in the United States and abroad. <sighs> Sometimes I frustrate myself even even thinking about these concepts, but we have to. The FAO, again, remember those, those initials, the FAO argues that reducing public meat consumption will improve citizens' health and help them, quote, fight climate change. You're, we're all in this together. <sighs> it's ridiculous. And you know it, and I know it. And I, honestly, they know it, too. Let's be clear about that. 
The only people that don't know it are the true believers in climate change, the, the true cult members. They're the ones that are these, these useful idiots, these happy little soldiers going out there, gluing their hands to the pavement, gluing their hands to artwork, you know, uh, breaking gas stations and, and keying, keying big SUVs or even little SUVs or whatever. These, these idiots, they're the only true believers, okay? The people that are making the policies, and including many of the quote-unquote scientists that are involved in this, they're just doing it for themselves, folks. They really are. They know that if they if they uh, get out there and, and pronounce loudly that they're going to that, that climate change is going to kill us in eight years, three years, twelve years, whatever, that they're going to get grants, they're going to get funding, they're going to get they're going to get awards, they're going to get speaking engagements, they're going to get everything, everything. That's what they want. Just like I mean, I don't even get me started on the doctors and and the and the jabs. That's that's a story for another day. <sighs> Let's get to. Um, Let's get to this story. You know, I don't often go to Cauldron Pool. Cauldron Pool is a, it's a, cauldronpool.com. It's a mixed bag. The, the content there, by the way, is absolutely amazing the vast majority of the time. But sometimes I don't like using it because it's over my head. A lot of it is really over my head, both theologically as well as scientifically. I mean, these are, these are some smart dudes and, and gals over there. And so I don't like talking about it, not because, you know, I, I don't want to belittle my audience and say, oh, you know, I don't know if you guys would get it. It's that sometimes I don't get it. That's <laughs> not false humility, folks. I, I, it's like, it's like, wow, you know, that's that's pretty, pretty crazy. Let me stick with some simple conspiracy theories and let's let's not. But this particular article over at Cauldron Pool did catch my attention because it's talking about me and I started reading it and I understood it. So Lord willing, you guys will, too. This is by Professor John Gideon Hartnett over at CauldronPool.net. This one was also from uh, a little while ago. This was from the ninth as well. Um, but I, I say these stories a lot of times when I know that I'm going to talk about a particular topic, um, I will save the stories and accumulate them so that I can talk about a topic for an extended period of time. If you're new to the show, this isn't how we do every show. A lot of times, most shows, we're going to take a, a potpourri, a, a smorgasbord. Okay, we'll take a wide variety of talk about the border, talk about wokeness, talk about cultural Marxism, talk about Biden, talk about Trump, talk about whatever. You know, today I'm trying to stay focused on this particular topic because there really has been a lot of news following COP28, and that's why we're talking about it today. This article is titled "Why Do." Um, oops, sorry. There we go. Why do the globalists want to stop us from eating meat? Uh, could it be? Could it be that the demon-inspired oligarchs do not want us to eat meat because of all the positive health benefits? I think so. This takes it from another angle. And let's be clear. You know, I am, I'm not on the, the carnivore diet per se, but I am a carnivore in many ways. I do eat a lot more meat than anything else. Uh, <laughs> If you you couldn't tell <laughs> if you're watching on video, yeah, I eat quite a bit, but I'm working on. It. I'm 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 actually down like 12 pounds, believe it or not. <laughs> if you can picture me being 12 pounds heavier, yeah, that was me. But I'm going down. We're we're working out. I've been walking like five miles a day. Praise God for that. Um, so yeah, we're we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Got a long ways to go, but I'm still going to eat meat whether I'm big or not. Anyway, let's get to the article. Uh, one big aspect of the sustainability-dominated Agenda 2030 of the WEF slash United Nations is to stop us from eating meat, especially red meat. Why is that? One excuse uh, they use is that global warming, the global warming scare. Cattle are falsely claimed to contribute to global warming due to their methane emissions, but global warming is a hoax. There is no climate emergency. There never was. It's a guy after my own heart. And by the way, how do we know it's a hoax? Okay, there were far more buffalo 
in North America way back when, 100, 120 years ago, than there are beef today, cattle today. So, and same, similar style of digestion, far larger animals. Why, why weren't they a challenge back then? But that's a topic for another day, and it'll be interesting, interesting to bring up that topic to talk to you guys about the history and why the bison were killed. It's actually a pretty ugly story, um, and I only recently learned it. But not for today. We'll, we'll get into that lighter topic some other time. Back to the article. Or they love us, and their reason is to protect us because meat is unhealthy. But that can't be the case because it has been shown scientifically and by experience for thousands of years to boost human health. Human beings have been eating meat for thousands of years, since the end of the global deluge, in fact. Prior to the Great Flood, humans only ate fruit and vegetables, according to the plan God put in place at the creation. At least that was the Creator's original plan. The curse changed that, and the fossil records show car carnivore, uh, carnivory sorry, was common pre-flood. But after the flood, God said that the survivors, Noah and his family, should eat animal meat. The scripture does not specify what animal. That didn't come until much later, until the law is given to Moses on Mount Horeb in Sinai. Noah and his family might have enjoyed Leviathan meat. We read, you break the heads of a Leviathan in pieces and give him to be meat, meaning food, uh, to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Sounds good. I would love to eat Leviathan meat. That sounds Sounds scrumptious. I don't know what it tastes like. Probably tastes like chicken, but maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it tastes like beef. I love beef and I love bison. But I digress. Back to the article. The context seems to be post-flood. The Hebrew word is transliterated because it is not known by the translators what it was. It is often translated as a sea monster or dragon. Could it have been a marine dinosaur or some of some kind? Dragon is also a possibility. So dragon meat was on the menu, I guess. I wonder if it tastes like chicken. We always have the same jokes. When you get into to biblical nerds, we have the same exact jokes every time. It's 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 very funny. Why did God command the survivors to eat meat after the flood? Was it because the supply of nutrients from a plant-based diet was inadequate? There are three factors that uh, would have influenced that. One is the change in the global environment due to the, catas the catastrophe that killed everything on Earth's surface. Another is the effects of the curse on creation. Plants produced antitoxins and ward off animals from eating them, and that would have multiplied over time. The third is the effect of decay processes in human physiology due to DNA damage that has been accumulating since creation. That's something you don't hear a lot about, by the way, but it is true. An increase in genetic entropy meant increased mutations. That meant humans were less fit and needed a more direct supply of the essential nutrients that can't come from eating meat. Nowadays, they blame all new diseases on meat. Everything, everything. Oh, it's always, you probably read meat, don't you? That's why you got this. That's why you got that. Strange, considering the long history of humans eating meat without suffering from these modern diseases. But only a few hundred years ago, people ate unprocessed meat from naturally grown animals without the fried-in oils and trans-fat saturated processed food of modern times. Nor did they eat toxic seed oils like canola, which is now ubiquitous. Nowadays, we specify organic to avoid the toxic chemicals and fertilizer used in the agricultural system. But the old days of organic simply meant the, the food was natural. It's funny because, you know, do they have organic? I actually had a guy ask me, this has been, oh gosh, 2008-ish, okay? But I remember I was having an argument. I was explaining how, 
how uh, you know because he was because I was talking about organic food back then. I was at a dinner. This is actually with a client. I was talking about organic food back then, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I didn't realize you were one of those hippies." I'm like, "I'm I'm not a hippie. I, I'm I'm actually <laughs> I'm far more conservative than you, dude. Let's uh, let's start there." Um, but secondly, you know, eating organic that means eating the way that that like like our our fathers and grandfathers ate. Uh, you know, it wasn't until very recently that food, you know, this whole genetic modification aspect of it, the addition of, of more pesticides, of more more uh, fats, more nasty stuff, that wasn't in the diet before. That wasn't in the food, okay? So to say, oh, you know, oh, you, you must be a hippie because you want to go back to the old days. That's more conservative than you would expect. Anyway, I digress. I miss that guy. I don't want to mention his name just in case he's he's listening. <laughs> but if if he is, he probably knows, oh, is he talking about that conversation we had in Washington, D.C. that one day? Yes, it was in Washington, D.C. that one day. Anyway, point is, is that they're right. You know, um, the organic is just is just basically original, right? It's not doesn't have to be special. It just has to be protected from all the contaminants that we're trying to put into foods today. Humans are biologically designed to be omnivores, which means we can eat meat and plants. The simple fact that our body can digest meat is evidence that we are designed to be omnivores. The human intestine is similar to that of carnivores with an intermediate-sized digestive tract. The vegan community have claimed that humans are herbivores. However, the science of the human body and the historical record of human dietary choices do not support those claims. Humans can survive without meat. But far better positive health outcomes are achieved easily, only if meat is included in our diet. Many vegans are ideologically driven. They claim killing animals is inhumane, but killing human humans slowly with malnutrition is definitely inhumane. And the Creator commanded humans to eat meat from about 4,050 uh, years ago in the post-flood world. Could it be that demon-inspired oligarchs do not want us to eat meat because of all the positive health benefits. I think so. Some years ago, I went on a vegan diet for nine months. And when I say I, I'm talking about this professor, not me. <laughs> I read them directly from here, but I, I always want to make sure you guys know if you're caught on late. These are not my words. I did not go on a vegan diet ever. I never will unless I'm forced to at gunpoint. <laughs> and maybe not even then. I was hoping... Back to the article, I was hoping to heal from numerous afflictions. At the time, I also started eating only organic food, uh, though uh, plant-based. I did get some benefits, but after about six months, I started to go downhill, developing, developing much more pain throughout my body. I learned at the time about the organic acid, oxalic acid, in many plants which use the anti-nutrient to fend off insects and other predators. Oxalic acid forms razor-sharp calcium oxalate, crystals in our tissues, especially if our gut has been compromised due to past antibiotic use. But going in on a low oxalate diet, I have overcome most health issues over time. This is an example of one anti-nutrient in plants. There are many more. Thus, I took to eating a very high meat-fat diet because meat is low in oxalates and I have grown stronger over the past few years and overcome all my incurable diseases without pharmaceuticals. Meat has all the needed nutrients for humans. Only in animal protein are found all the necessary amino acids, which our bodies cannot make themselves. To get all of those, a vegan needs to be very diligent and, and take, even take supplements. Even so, the amino acids from plants are not so well absorbed. To build healthy muscles, skin, and bones, we need to eat meat, especially in this sin-cursed world. 
The longer the time since the curse, the more accumulation of deleterious genes in our genome and the less fit the human species is. The essential amino acids can repair some of that. Vegans and vegetarians more uh, quickly show the effects of time in their bodies due to a deficiency of the essential amino acids. The ideological vegans are not always so healthy, health conscious either. If you want to avoid the onslaught of all the anti-nutrients, eat meat. It is that simple. There is not a single plant-based food that has all the micro and macronutrients found in meat. Some of the essential nutrients are only found in meat and not in vegetables or grains. One of those is iron, an essential mineral that is abundant in red meat. Without iron, our body cannot produce the important oxygen-carrying molecule hemoglobin. And without it, our body is starved of oxygen. That means no energy. That means no strength. Clean, unprocessed meat is the answer to most ills and disease. And let's stop there real quick. Unprocessed meat. Okay, there's a time, folks, I love bologna. I love sliced turkey. I love, I'm a sandwich guy, okay? I've always been a sandwich guy, you know, obviously before I started the keto diet. I love sandwiches, and I, I used to love processed meat. I, just, I love sausages. Mm, yummy. Okay, I won't do it anymore. I want meat. I want actual, I want to see the dead animal. And then I want to cook it <laughs> or have my wife cook it since I can't cook. Um, that is an important thing that we cannot, we cannot ignore in this article. So back to that article. Clean, unprocessed meat is the answer to most ills and diseases. It is not, uh, it does not increase cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, or cancer. The processed foods, especially with trans fats, are highly toxic and cause diseases. But saturated animal fats are food, not poison is like the lie that carbon dioxide is poison when actually it is plant food and essential for life on this planet. Saturated animal fat has no real impact on cholesterol levels and cardiovascular disease, recent studies show. Praise God for that. <laughs> mm. Almost everything that the oligarchs tell us is bad, including red meat and saturated animal fat, especially from uh, clean pasture-fed sheep and cattle, is actually very healthy. In fact, it is God-ordained food for humans in a post-flood world. The real reason for the planned shutdown of all meat-producing agriculture are as follows. To decarbonize the planet of humans, that is, to uh, massively reduce the human herd. Depopulation. Less humans means less drain on the resources of the planet. Also, to return the planet to nature in their demon-inspired Gaia worship of Mother Earth. Gosh, I like this guy. I'm going to have to read more of his stuff. The final reason is to control the herd. <laughs> Depopulation control. No, no coincidence. We're all coming to the same conclusion. The final reason is to control the herd that is left uh, uh, because red meat makes you strong and able to think clearly and critically. More oxygen to the brain, heart, and muscles. It is much more difficult to control a group of people who are well-fed. Joe Stalin and all despots have known this. Keep the mob close to starvation on a drip feed and they will obey. They won't have the strength to revolt anyway. Eating red meat falls into the same category as other freedoms we enjoy. The freedoms we think of, uh, we think our own thoughts and express them. The freedom to worship the Lord, our God, and speak of his grace. The freedom to not allow, to not follow the diktats of the oligarchs who would control every aspect of our lives. Please do not succumb to the lies about red meat and lose all its health benefits. What follows is weakness, disease, malnutrition, and death. And again, that's Professor John Gideon Hartnett. He's got a PhD uh, uh, from uh, in physics. So 
that's good. Let's go to station identification, and we'll be back in, I think it's like 45 seconds. We'll be back in, in 45 seconds. in that first hour we were able to talk about the why why are they coming after the food supply i hope by now you do appreciate and you understand and you accept that the powers that be are truly coming after the food supply the powers and principalities the new world order whatever you want to call them whether you are a bible believing christian or you're more secular or a different religion doesn't matter we're all talking about the same enemy here okay we can be unified we can debate theology and and faith later let's just focus on on the enemy all of our enemies all of us have the same enemy the same the same uh, bad guys we just call them different things so let's accept that as well so we know why but now let's get into the how how are they coming after it i've talked many times especially last year we haven't talked about it nearly as much lately but there are certain ways that they're going after the food supply just directly like literally destroying the food supply uh, we've seen those food production plants that have been going up in smoke. Okay, so clearly, it's it's not a coincidence that there were more more uh, industrial disasters, industrial catastrophes at the various food food processing plants across the nation and across the globe, just in late 2021 and early 2022 and into 2023, than there were in like the previous 10 years combined. It is conspicuous, and it is, to me, it's, it's blatantly obvious that it is intentional. We've also seen bird flu, and I've talked about this before in the past as well, but just for those who may not remember, bird flu does not act the way that bird flu is acting today. It never has. Historically speaking, bird flu usually hits an area, a very small area. So <clears throat> I've used this analogy before, but, you know, let's say you got, you got bird flu, you got a pigeon, okay? A pigeon goes and and lands and starts talking to some hens and saying, hey, hens, what are you guys doing? And they're like, go away, pigeon, you're not a hen. We only want a rooster. And the pigeon's like, okay, well, fine. But this infected pigeon, okay, now infected, maybe one of the hens had the bird flu, and now this infected pigeon has the bird flu. And that pigeon flies to a farm, you know, three miles down the road and says, hey, hens, what are you doing? And the hens say, hey, pigeon, we like you, you know, come talk to us. And pigeon talks to them and then spreads the bird flu to them, okay? That's traditionally... A, a rough version of of how bird flu is spread across the nation, uh, and, but in, again in small pockets, and then it's usually very easily contained. What we've seen for the past three years is that bird flu acts completely differently. It pops up in Texas, and then in Iowa, and then in Minnesota, and then in the UK, and then in wherever. I mean, it's like popping up everywhere simultaneously. It's as if it's being done intentionally. And I would say that it definitely is. What about the cows? We've seen entire cattle herds mysteriously just drop dead. Ranchers go and they're like, what the hell happened to my cattle? You know, I mean, they're all dead. They just And there's no no signs of alien abduction or, or kids go, doing cow tipping or anything crazy like that. They just died. 
we keep seeing this over and over again. We keep seeing food getting contaminated, lots and lots of food getting contaminated. The, my wife follows the recalls, okay? She has alerts, you know, she's a, a diligent and awesome mother, so she, she watches to see when food gets recalled. And she was noting that, that over the last couple of years, oddly enough, there have been many, many, many more food recalls for various reasons. You would think that being 2023, going into 2024, that we would actually be better at food safety. I mean, we've certainly got enough regulations. And we certainly have enough automation that food should be safer today than it was a decade ago. As far as I'm talking about from contaminations, lead poisoning, salmonella, all that stuff. But that's not the case. We're seeing more and more, more and more people getting hurt and even dying from food contaminations of various sorts. Why is that? Why is it that every angle of the food supply chain seems to be under attack? Could it be because it is? We know about that, but what about what, what other techniques are they using? Here's one that, that should, should uh, wake you up. This comes from, from News Nation. 2% of U.S. land owned by foreigners. What? 2% of United States land is owned by foreigners. When did that happen? I mean, we know that China has been buying buying up land. We know that Bill Gates has been buying up land. I know he's not a foreigner, but he's a he's probably an alien of some sort, so so we should include him as in that list. And he's not. He's not part of that 2%. That number would probably be much higher if his land ownership was included. We know that European countries um, and other Asian countries are buying up food. I'm sorry, buying up land. In many cases, specifically for food. Did you know the majority of of uh, pig pig plants, pig uh, farms? Is it a pig farm? <laughs> Animal farms? The pig farms in uh, I think it's South Carolina. Majority are owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, they do eat a ton of pork. They eat much more pork than we do, generally speaking. But uh, so so it's like I guess it's understandable. But but still, why aren't we just keeping ownership of the of the farms, of the land, and then exporting it to them. Why are we allowing so much of it to get bought up? <clears throat> this article comes from News Nation. Brian Enton says, and I'm just going to go over the, the key points here because I don't want to get stuck on just a handful of stories like we did in the first hour. USDA report foreign investors own nearly 2% of the U.S. land. Many rural communities have raised concerns over foreign investments. Canadian investors own the largest amount of re reported foreign-held land. You might say, okay, well, at least a lot, most of it's Canadian, okay? And it's not it's not true because you're reading it wrong, you're hearing it wrong if you think that. It's that they have the largest share, but that doesn't mean they have most of it, not by a long shot. Foreigners own nearly 2% of all land in the U.S., including more than 3 million acres of farmland purchased just in the past year, according to the new statistics by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The trend has raised concerns in rural communities across the country as some states have tried to prevent foreign entities from buying farmland. Much of the U.S. land owned by foreigners is agricultural, including farms and timber-rich properties. As of December 20, 31, 2022, foreign investors held an interest in over 43.4 million acres of agricultural land. 43.4 million acres! Forest land accounted for over 48%, over 28% was accounted for by cropland, and 21% was land for pasture and other agricultural needs. In other words, being able to raise chickens for India or or uh, or pigs for, for China. One Indiana chicken farmer says the numbers should be disturbing to every American. And this is a quote from, uh, from farmer John Rust, who also happens to be running for U.S. Senate. 
We have to be very concerned about it. You know, almost 30% of our meat production in the United States is controlled by foreign interests right now. And so it's not 2%, it's 30% in terms uh, of meat. We have to be very careful. We have to have a safe supply of food that is for Americans. In November, a small Michigan town voted to oust their entire council after they approved a controversial project for a Chinese-affiliated company to build an electric battery plant in the community. And there's a quote from... Uh, from Green Green Charter Township resident on the public forum. Everyone's entitled to an opinion, and guess what China's is? They don't like us. They don't like us. That's their opinion. According to the USDA report, Canadian investors own the largest amount of the reported foreign-held agricultural land and non-agricultural land with 32% of or 14.2 million acres. So again, you know, if you like and trust the Canadians, great. That's that's at least better than, than the Chinese Communist Party owning all that land, right? But the Chinese Communist Party does own still quite a bit, and they're buying more. They're buying more of it every single day. And yes, folks, that should definitely concern you. Now let's get into, I guess you could say, some some other concerns. And this is a concern. I gave this, um, I gave the, the disclaimer in the beginning that uh, I do own, I'm part owner, of a freeze-dried meat company. Specifically, we sell we sell beef right now. Next year, we're going to start selling bison. Eventually, we're probably going to sell, sell freeze-dried eggs and chicken. The purpose there is that we want to feed Americans. So when I start talking about lab-grown meat, know that, yes, I have an interest in it. But also know that if I didn't have an interest in it, I would still be talking about this stuff because this concerns me and it should concern you. And by the way, just just for <laughs> got to throw this in there uh, as as my we'll, we'll use this as the the ad for the for this this segment. We are over at wholecows.com. We are having our unprecedented sale. It hasn't happened before. Probably won't ever happen again because of the aforementioned bison. We are bringing bison into the mix next year, and we have too many bags. I just got the report uh, from from Jason Nelson, uh, disabled army uh, veteran. Jason Nelson, one of my one of my partners in the company. He was telling me, gave me the numbers that we currently have stored, and it's staggering. We have a good surplus. I'm very excited about that. But now we got to make room because we got to make room for bison. Bison's big, and yes, the the uh, the bags of bison are going to take up a lot of space in the warehouse. So I've, I'm tasked with selling as much of it as I can. Therefore, go to wholecows.com and use the promo code one time twenty five. That's O N E T I M E, the number two, the number five, one time twenty five. And you'll get 25% off of your order. If you are a big spender and you're spending $1,000 or more, you can use promo code one time 30 and you get the idea there. You'll get 30% off of your order. Again, we, we've done 5%, 10%, 15% max discounts in the past. The only reason, the only reason that we're doing this, this sale now between now and Christmas, by the way, so we've only got a few days left. The only reason we're doing this sale now is because, like I said, we got to make room. He wants to buy the bison. I'm all for it, but we got to have some place to put it. So take advantage. Our loss is your gain. Go to wholecows.com. Use promo code one time 25 for 25% off or one time 30 for 30% off if you're buying $1,000 or more worth of freeze dried beef. And yes, it is free shipping. Not to Alaska. If you're an Alaskan, sorry, we got to charge you for the shipping. But otherwise, free shipping across the United States. So let's get to this article. <laughs> Speaking of the reasons that we have this freeze dried meat company that has. Uh, ribeye, New York Strip, um, uh, sirloin, tenderloin, the good stuff, and all American, not imported, not imported beef. This is all American beef, all Texas-raised beef, to be clear. 
reason we're doing it is because of situations like this one. This is over at America Out Loud News, uh, AmericaOutloud.news. You can find this. Um, uh, Dr. Steve LaTulip is his name. Great name. Steve LaTulip. Lab-grown meat scam is a great health risk, and it truly, truly is. According to the article, in the age of deception, where fake news, fake medicine, fake politicians, fake wars, and fake religions predominate, Along comes another great lie that says man can improve on all the natural foods that God has so abundantly blessed us with for nourishment, sustenance, and delicacies of the palate. Fake meat has just made its debut in America, receiving a full stamp of approval from the Food and Drug Administration. But how can fake anything be good for you? It isn't. It can't. As the globalist uh, conquistadors steam full speed ahead, Finding anything real or genuine is becoming increasingly more difficult. We seem to be slowly drifting into a counterfeit world, or as I like to call it, a post-truth society. When it comes to physical health and nutrition, imitation food is about as unhealthy as you can get. But the consequences of marketing artificial food extend far beyond just the realm of diet. Grocery shopping has become a jungle, uh, jungle stomp through a maze of pitfalls, and dining out is inviting disaster, especially in the fast food industry. Don't expect the FDA to protect you. The FDA is a government agency. It's the agency that approved the updated COVID shots and repeated the mantra, safe and effective, as many uh, as some 17 million people globally have died to date from the approved product. It's also the agency that approved lab-grown meat for production in the United States this year. But cultivated mammalian stem cells can hardly be called meat. Neither can it be called safe or good for you. If anything, lab-grown meat, quote-unquote meat, is nothing more than an opportunistic bioweapon. Let's take a closer look. First of all, stem cells research. Stem cell research is a budding science currently with very limited medical application. When stem cells are grown in bioreactors, that's a quote, bioreactors, and then nourished with additives to improve texture, color, and cell growth, you aren't getting anything close to a cut of real steak or chicken breast. It's just not possible to duplicate the real meat that is harvested from a once-living animal that God created and called good for food. Lab-grown stem cells processed for human consumption don't have the taste, texture, biological composition, or nutritional value that actual meat contains. As an animal grows, its, its muscle tissue, the meat, contains more than just myocytes or muscle uh, fiber cells. Blood vessels, nerves, fat, connective tissue, bones, and marrow are intricately woven throughout muscle tissue. These function together to make up all the properties of natural, healthy meat. The FDA admits it has done no studies to verify that synthetic meat is nutritious, safe, or truly economical, economical to produce. The Tarnished Agency has approved lab-grown meat based on the words of Upside Foods producers, uh, who described their processing steps and concluded, in their own opinion, that the process was safe. Satisfied with the company's self-assessment, the FDA essentially said, okay, sounds good, go for it. That's pretty much the extent of their regulation. We heard the same words from Pfizer or Moderna, who insisted that the mRNA shots were safe and effective, despite knowing full well that the studies that they did proved just the opposite. They lied. And mRNA vaccine recipients continue to die to continue to die daily because they f uh, fell for their lies. We cannot accurately predict what the final mortality rate will be, but the accumulating data has left shot victims holding their breath and praying they don't become tomorrow's next casualty. Will it be the same with fake meats? 
Consumer skepticism pertaining to fake meat is more than valid. Americans ha will have to decide for themselves whether or not to buy into the safe and nutritious propaganda. But knowing that the population control eugenicist Bill Gates has been a top investor in Upside Foods since its inception in 2017 should be enough to dissuade anyone from sampling these products. Not that you would, by the way. I mean, who's going to even try this stuff? Maybe one bite? I don't even want a bite. It's not just because it's disgusting in concept or disgusting in nature or disgusting in reality. It's because ideologically, I don't want it. I want real meat. We've always had it. We've always had real meat. We've been blessed as a nation. Why are we trying to destroy that? Why are we trying to replace something that, as, as the good doctor here points out, replace something that God created and said was good for food? Ugly stuff. Uh, the old, the mogul advocated for fake meat during a lecture he gave at the UN Climate Change Convention in Dubai recently, where he was surrounded by a cesspool of liars, frauds, hypocrites, and sociopaths. It should make us wonder, is this another genocide plot? The absence of regulations and accountability may be, for Bill Gates, another license to kill. Let's not ignore all the flashing red lights in the latest meat market associated with the climate change cult. Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, the new band of mad scientists, and all of all our fallen angels in government. Your health and welfare are the last thing on their mind. I like how he said mind. I, I hope that wasn't a mistake. I hope that he's referring to collectivism within their group. I'm, I'm, we're going to go with that. He, he did. The first is your subservience and early demise. Abstinence from lab-grown meat might be a sage choice. Here's to the truth. And for those who aren't familiar with America Out Loud, yes, my show used to, to play there. Um, and no fault to them for my show no longer playing there, by the way. It is what it is. Um, you know, I did it again. I keep forgetting to switch the tab. I, I've got it set on here, and this is where why I need to uh, sell more beef and, and get more gold leads. Because, frankly, I, I, need, to, I need to get, the, uh, get a producer, a full-blown producer. I have a great producer for radio, okay? Don at BBS Radio does a fantastic job, but when it comes to producing the show visually, I do that myself, and unfortunately, uh, apparently I'm not very good at it, because I keep forgetting switch tabs. I think that's the second time. I noticed uh, I did it once before. I thought, don't do it again, and here I did it again. So you didn't get to read along with me. Hopefully you, you liked the way I read, and I didn't stutter too much. But here's the article from AmericaOutloud.news. And as I said, so I have worked with them in the past. They're a great organization. Uh, if it wasn't for for my inability to put out a consistent show several months ago, um, I would, I'm sure, still be. Uh, my show would still be there. It had a wonderful viewership, wonderful listenership. It's, it's radio. But, uh, but alas, but still, like I said, it's no fault to them. That's why when I see awesome articles like this one by Dr. Steve LaTulip, I will, I will happily share those with, with you, the audience. This does bring up the point, though, you know, what, what can we do? One of the challenges that we're faced with is that the people that have the money, and I'm talking in the media, the people that have the reach, you know, we've got Tucker Carlson, who's starting to get out there. He's really starting to hit the hit the uh, the topics that we need him to hit. I mean, some of the stuff that he's been talking about has been fantastic. You've got Elon Musk, who may or may not be a globalist shill. He may or may not be be uh, one of the technocrats that's going to lead us to our demise. He may truly be a free speech guy. He may really be in favor of, of uh, natural stuff. He, all these things may be. I'm not sure about him 
the way that I'm much more sure about Tucker Carlson. And you've got the the fringe people, you know, like Alex Jones. He's been trying to to promote this stuff too. But here's the thing: outside of just a handful of of uh, we'll call it alternative media heavyweights, the vast majority of us are too small. This is why I always ask people: please share share what you see here. Tell your friends about this show and other shows if you like what you're hearing. And if you don't, then don't tell them that. <laughs> Hopefully somebody else they know will like it and tell them. But but you get the idea. We need to spread the word. We need more people watching the show, more people listening to the show. We're very blessed to be where we are uh, getting back on terrestrial radio out here in Los Angeles here very, very soon. Uh, middle of the month of next month, we'll be um, when we finally, finally get back onto terrestrial radio. And we're talking to a couple of stations in Tennessee. I'm looking for essentially, I hate to say it, but anywhere they'll take us. Okay, we are desperately trying to get the word out because people need to hear this stuff. People need to know what's happening to the food supply. People need to know what's happening with the with the elections, with the vaccines, with with the border. Okay, there is there's there are plenty of conservative news outlets out there that do get great reach, but they often will avoid the topics that could get them in trouble. They're not talking about God. They're not talking about about any of the aforementioned topics. They won't talk about anything that could get them in trouble with their with their station. That could get them in trouble with their um, with Facebook or Google. They rely on Facebook traffic. They rely on Google money. Okay, we don't get any traffic. Pretty much any of it. None of it comes from Facebook. Do I broadcast a show on Facebook? You betcha. How many people watch it? About none. But hey, it's automatic. It's literally I, I click a button, and as the show goes to Brighton or BitChute or or Rumble or Spreely TV or or Shortwave Radio or wherever, when it goes out to these places, it's it's uh, nobody's telling me what I can can or cannot say. At least not yet. Lord willing, that will continue. I'm I'm always scared that at some point we're going to get knocked off of Apple Podcast or or Rumble's going to start turning, you know, go big time and start being more like YouTube or something bad's going to happen. Lord willing, none of that happens, but I do get concerned about that. So the point I'm trying to make is is this. Please, if you can, share. And the place that you'll always be able to find this show, and hopefully we're in the process of negotiating with other shows, to come on to uh, to the network would be discern.tv. Uh, discern.tv, no.com. The CERN.TV is my project. I've been working on it for off and on, really, for, for about a year now. And the idea is to try to put up content, uh, not just my content, but other people's content, which is why we're, uh, we're trying our best to get other people, other shows on there. Uh, but no matter what, even if we get none others, you'll find mine there. So try to, and we put tons of articles, tons of other videos up there. So, so check it out. Go to discern.tv, uh, bookmark it, and share that with your friends if you need to. Okay, the best place to subscribe, we are trying to build up a separate Rumble channel. I've got a Rumble channel already. You can get to there by, you know, the big Rumble channel, bigger Rumble channel, is at jdrucker.com slash Rumble. But the one that we want to build up is at jdrucker.com slash Rumble 1, the number 1. jdrucker.com slash Rumble 1. That will take you to my new Discern TV Rumble channel, and, and you know, we're going to try to do the whole Dread Pirate Roberts thing, okay? You know, we've got we got the bigger Rumble channel, great, awesome, love my my subscribers there. Now we got to try to get them and everybody on Brideon and, and anywhere else, Apple Podcasts, um, WWCR Shortwave Radio, wherever, try to get them to go to the other Rumble channel, jdrucker.com/rumble1. There's a few reasons for that. Um, the biggest one being is that that would that's the actual full blown channel. 
versus, you know, with Freedom First Network, where my other channel is, I'm sharing that channel with with about two dozen other show hosts. <laughs> and it's fine. I don't mind. I, you know, I'm still going to be on Freedom First Network. I don't want to make it sound as if I'm leaving there or anything like that. Uh, but I think it just it just makes more sense for me and for hopefully for you to stay focused on these topics, on this kind of content, the stuff that I believe we need to all be talking about before the crap hits the fan. And as I said before, I think that day, the, the day that the crap really starts hitting the fan is any time between now and Election Day. And because after Election Day, I think it's going to get even worse. And then within a year after that, I think it'll get even, even worse. We're going to see things and we're going to think this is as bad as it gets. And then it's going to get worse the next day. And I hope I'm wrong. I pray that I'm wrong. Okay. I Like Daniel, I pray for, for reprieve. I hope that we've got, we've got 70 more years, 100 more years, 1,000 more years until the end times. I want to see my kids grow up in a world of, of sanity, not a world of lunacy. I don't want to necessarily go through any of the bad stuff that's coming. And it's not so much me. I'm, I'm concerned, again, for my family. But then again, there's that notion, as I talked about earlier, that if we are indeed in the end times, then it is a blessing for us to be going through whatever is ahead. But that just because it's a blessing, that doesn't mean we need to go volunteer and say, okay, well, I didn't prepare. I'm going to go. Go ham, give me, give me the cricket burger allowance for the day. I'll go take that back to the kids and try to force feed little baby, little baby Bobby, the uh, the cricket burger for the day. No, you can still be prepared. Make it to where you can help to fight the good fight, if and when the time comes in our lifetimes. So, so there is that. Now let's talk more about this whole lab-grown meat concept. This article. Uh, this next article comes from Marie Hawthorne over at uh, uh, the Organic Prepper. One of, I would say, top five, top five best prepper channels out there. Prepper, not channels, prepper uh, websites out there. They do a fantastic job of putting out some really good content, and I really want to work with them. I've been been reaching out. I've been trying. You know, we we, we get close. We'll see. Oh, Lord willing, we will be able to to make arrangements with them. But I've got Marie. Hawthorne's story, I've got it over at discern.tv, American meat producers heavily invest in novel protein. That's the new the new phrase, a.k.a. lab-grown meat and bugs. Novel protein is in stuff that you, hey, you know, you might have tried uh, beef, chicken, pork, fish. You might have tried maybe some some bison, maybe some elk, maybe some, some wild boar, but you never tried this. <laughs> and if you if you believe me at all, then you never will try it. According to the articles, uh, COP28 is wrapping up, as it already wrapped up, uh, and I'm never going to eat a chicken nugget again. <laughs> it's funny. I forgot about that line. I actually used the chicken nugget line in a different story earlier, um, comparing the, the the process of creating chicken nuggets and how how lab-grown meat is, you know, take take that disgusting process that they use to take chicken stuff and, and make it into this pink stuff that they then form into, into uh, chicken nuggets. Take that process and multiply it tenfold on the disgusting meter, and then you've got uh, you got lab-grown meat. Uh, but I'm never going to eat a chicken nugget again. Why? Because the relentless drive toward getting novel proteins into the food supply. This year's climate summit was the first to extensively address food production. There was a food systems pavilion with eight thematic days, and one of those days was exclusively about how to advance protein diversification. There's that word, their favorite word there. In other words, how to get people to eat stuff they don't want to. 
Well said. Uh, the publishing industry is getting into this too. You can find dozens of books that have been recently brought to market, earnestly promoting insects as food to save the planet. These are not to be outdone by books swearing that lab-grown meat will revolutionize food. <sighs> they discussed how to push consumers toward novel protein. Discussions highlighted innovations in Israel, Brazil, Singapore, Denmark, and the Netherlands, all countries that have pioneered research in either insect farming or cultured meat. The folks at the Climate Summit discovered, quote, how we can push, uh, push, or discussed, not discovered, they discussed, quote, how we can push others toward the tipping point in meat uh, protein diversification. One discussion focused on circular agri-food and biomass. Circular agri-food sounds high-tech, but really boils down to waste processing. For example, a farm may be uh, perfectly circular if livestock exclusively consumes vegetation on the farm, their poop is spread uh, around the pastures, they get cr processed on farm, and the waste materials are buried, fed to dogs, or otherwise kept on the property. 200 years ago, most farms were circular agri-food systems. That doesn't sound too bad. So, are they promoting the tr traditional closed-loop local farming, independently operated farms? No, not quite. This discussion was chaired by an expert in waste management and a representative of an innovative food processing company, not managers of closed-loop farms. In fact, if you live in, wealthy in a wealthy country, these people may see your local farm as the problem, not the solution. Speakers at COP28 summits blamed overconsumption in wealthy countries for food instability in poorer ones. This is a gross simplification of an incredibly complex set of problems. Overconsumption of food isn't just a rich people problem, it's the opposite. For starters, overconsumption of food is not necessarily related to overall wealth. You don't see overweight people walking around elite enclaves like Malibu or Aspen. They're in the poorest parts of the major cities and throughout rural America. I spent much of my childhood in a low-income household. People at the bottom of the socioeconomic food chain are not overconsuming pasture steaks and Kerrygold butter. They are overconsuming stuff like uh, their SNAP benefits pay for at Dollar Tree, foods like Doritos and Mountain Dew. These foods are artificially cheap because they are made of processed corn, which is heavily subsidized by the government. U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack is aware of this. He was less militant about eliminating meat from American diets than his European counterparts. His talk during Food Day emphasized less food wastage rather than eliminating meat and dairy. However, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change insists that affluent Westerners uh, need to reduce meat and dairy consumption by 35 to 50 percent to achieve climate goals. Climate change is being blamed for food shortages in developing countries. However, you cannot ignore the role distribution problems play. These might be related to war or to internal problems such as corruption. They're not necessarily affected by the actions of wealthier countries. Solving the problem of low-income, overweight Americans would involve massive cultural changes. It would involve fixing the subsidy system that makes junk food so cheap. It would involve a huge push to reintroduce home eco economics classes, empowering people to prepare their own food, and it would involve a change in cultural expectations. When working multiple part-time jobs is the norm, it's really hard to find time to prepare healthy meals. And I'll slightly disagree with that. I mean, listen, it's it's one of those things, I, 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 okay, I won't disagree. I will say, yes, it is harder to find, find time, okay? And you're talking about somebody who, if I wasn't married, to the greatest cook in the world, 
if I did, wasn't blessed with the ability to to not have her go to work um, away from the home. What she does at home is is incredible, far far more work than I do. But if I didn't, if if that wasn't the case, then yes, we would probably have a difficult time finding time to be able to to go to the grocery store to pick out the the right foods, to be be selective with where we're sourcing our foods, and to then properly cook it all. I know that there are real challenges that real people are facing every day, whether it's financial, whether it's time, whether it's a combination of the two, maybe it's access. Maybe you just don't have access to the the right foods. I would strongly suggest, and I've said this for different reasons in the past, but for the sake of food itself, I would strongly suggest if you have the means or if you can acquire the means, do whatever you can to get out of the cities. Now, a lot of times people will say, oh, wasn't that counterproductive? Wouldn't, don't you think that, uh, you know, in a city, you have more access to more grocery stores, there's more Whole Foods, more Sprouts Markets, more Trader Joe's or whatever. And that may be true. But in the future, when the crap starts hitting the fan, these cities that are now have an abundance of certain foods, even high quality foods within these high quality grocery stores, we're seeing them shutting down, especially if you live in a leftist city. We're seeing them change hands. We're seeing uh, different cities across our nation and throughout Canada as well that are talking about government-run grocery stores in the cities. Why? Because of high crime, because of, of high prices, because they want to control food, food uh, inflation. They're trying anything they can to make it to where these cities are able to, to uh, have control over the food supply. Notice I didn't say they're trying everything they can to make it easier for the people in the cities to buy the food. That's not the, the end goal. The end goal is control, and they see an opportunity here to be able to take control of people, um, take control of people in the city. So what is the advantage of moving out to rural areas, even away from the suburbs, if possible? Well, number one, you know, pick places where you have access to multiple, at least one, but preferably multiple farms. Farmers markets are the best place to get your food, period, okay? And local ranches, one best place to get your meats. You should be able to, if, if everything, if the crap really does hit the fan to the point that there's essentially martial law across the, the country and there's, there's um, um, you know, roving marauders trying to take things from people, then you should be prepared for all that. I'm not trying to, to scare you folks. I'm just telling you that that is a possibility, especially if you live in the cities. But even if you live out in rural areas, you have to be prepared. You have to have firearms, period. Make sure that you're going to a place that's not going to arrest you for owning owning the, uh, or try to register you for owning certain types of firearms. But you have to be able to defend your property, defend your family, defend yourself, and defend your supplies, especially if you're in a rural area. Um, again, today that's not so, so much the case, but in the future, if there is, is this collapse of some sort, then you don't want to be isolated and and face those marauders, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Make friends, make friends with the, the locals. If you can uh, have, have a local infrastructure, one where you know where you can get your food, you know where the food is grown, you know where you can get your beef, your chicken, your fish, whatever, preferably, hopefully, you, you know, you can find a place where you have access to fresh water with fish, okay? And hopefully you can move to a place where you can open, grow your own garden, very least, if not a, a full-blown homestead, if not even a, a little mini farm, or maybe a full-blown farm. Maybe you're rich. Maybe you can just, you know, instead of the, the, the Chinese Communist Party and the Canadians buying all the farmland, maybe you can buy some farmland from a farmer who's ready to 
to pack it up or move along or whatever. We need this. I'm not just telling you this to give you advice. We need more people to do this for the sake of everybody else. In other words, we need allies, those who are not prepared, those who are not able to feed their families without government assistance in the future once the crap hits the fan. They will not be our allies. They will be beholden. They will not risk losing their families, letting their families starve, letting themselves starve for the sake of patriotism or freedom. They will line up. I don't care how patriotic they are. They will line right up. So I want as many people as possible to be independent, to be self-reliant, to be able to, to work within a local network of like-minded individuals, or even to be able to work alone, to be completely, completely self-sufficient. It's hard, and it's not for everybody, but maybe it's for you. Maybe you should check it out. And don't forget the meds. Don't forget your Bibles. Don't forget your water. I want to make sure we have everything. Don't forget your energy supplies. Off-grid is the best way to possibly go. I said it before, I'll say it probably a million times again. With that said, let me go ahead and, and uh, speaking of meds, let's go to a quick break uh, where you can hear about meds and then we will be back to finish off today's show. Folks, the, the threats that are happening to us when it comes to our medical freedom, it's not just about COVID-19 vaccines or face masks or lockdowns. There is a true risk to the pharmaceutical supply chain that could put many, if not most of us, in bad situations should that supply chain break down. A company that I work with, is uh, that's, they specialize in helping people to secure long-term storage meds, whether it's amoxicillin or diabetes medications or heart medications, you know, various antibiotics. Go to jdrucker.com slash meds, jdrucker.com slash meds, Use promo code RUCKER10 for 10% off and start stocking up. Stock up today. Get as, get what you can as far as the meds that you need just in case the crap hits the fan and you can't just run down to the pharmacy and pick up your amoxicillin or whatever it is. JDRucker.com slash meds. Generally speaking, I like to end my shows with solutions. I'm going to go ahead and throw the solutions out at you. I've touched on them throughout, but I want to go ahead and throw them out to you one more time before I get to this last story by Martin Armstrong. You need to be as self-sufficient as possible, period. I'm, if you say I sound like a broken record, I do. I know I do. Get out of the cities. Does that sound like a broken record? You betcha. I do sound like a broken record because I need you to take this seriously. And I need you to get other people to take it seriously as well. Okay, this is one of those things. First rule of prepping, they always tell you, don't tell anybody about your preps. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell your relatives. The idea there is that if you tell anybody, then if and when the crap hits the fan, they're going to come knocking on your door. Or maybe they're not your really your friends. They're not really good relatives, and they're going to come come with weapons or something and try to take your preps. They don't. They always say never tell anybody. I take the opposite approach. Look, I and maybe because <clears throat> I'm well armed, <laughs> and and uh, I don't have a lot of friends and relatives, but I do want to get as many people as possible to be prepared because we're going to need allies. We need people who are going to be able to, because they're self-sufficient, they're going to be able to fight the good fight uh, when the the crap starts hitting the fan. And if we fail, then we need people that are going to be there to help rebuild. That's it, okay? I'm a big fan of, sh of spreading the word and making as many people aware as possible within your circles, outside of your circles. I'm not saying go tell all your neighbors, hey, I'm pre pre prepared. You know, if the crap hits the fan, it's party at my house. No, I'm not saying that, but, but tell the people that you care about and get other people to do it. Don't just tell them because you want them to come knock on your door 
when things go south, tell them that you want them. Explain to them. Have them watch my show. Tell them that, that things are looking bad. And if things, here's the beauty of, of being prepared. If things don't go bad, praise God, and it's not a waste, okay? <laughs> you can always eat food, right? Especially, you know, I mean, we, it's funny. We at, at Whole Cows, we have a lot of people that I didn't expect this. Um, I did not anticipate there would be a lot of people who are actually eating their food. Because, again, we're not talking about, like, beef crumbles. We're talking about freeze-dried, long-term storage, ribeye, New York strip, tenderloin, sirloin, the good stuff. And people are actually taking it, opening the bags and using it, and then buying some more. I, I'm no, not objecting to that at all. You know, for me, I keep every bag. I keep all my long-term storage food separate, and I'm going to use that in the long term. But some people, they're okay with using it today, and that's that's beneficial to me. But the point is this, is that there is no stopping the United Nations. There's no, not that we can't do. God can do it. I say pray all the time, okay? God can can put an end to all the shenanigans. So pray for that. But as far as what can we do, I mean, are we going to go protest the World Economic Forum? Are we going to, to, to pass legislation against Klaus Schwab or George Soros or Barack Obama? The, the, it seems as if, again, without divine intervention, it seems as if the die has been cast. They're heading in this direction, whether we like it or not. So that's why you go back to protect yourself, protect your family. For the sake of the nation, even you could say hey, that's selfish. Well, yeah, but you need to be. You know, it's kind of like those uh, on the planes. They always say, you know, in case of an emergency, if the air drops, put your mask on first, and then help others, help the the, the child or whoever next to you. You don't want us to go. Oh, well, we got to help everybody else, and then you you pass out, and then, then everybody around you dies. No, you want to. You got to protect yourself first. Put the, the mask on, prepare, get the insurance, the security of food, water, ammunition, Bibles, meds, energy, get all that stuff together, and then get other people to do the same thing. That's the best thing that we can do. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody has to become a doomsday prepper, but everybody does have to get prepared in some way. <laughs> it's not just Mark Zuckerberg who's building a bunker in Hawaii. It needs to be as many of you as possible. So that's why I harp on it. That's why I'm a broken record. Let's get to this, um, this final article of the day. This is by, by Martin Armstrong. And it's a reiteration of the reiteration of the reiteration, but taken from a different angle. You know, something's going to stick. I've taken the faithful angle. I've taken the conspiratorial angle. Now let's get into, I guess you could say the logical angle. It's from armstrongeconomics.com um, from the 19th. So earlier earlier in the week. <clears throat> Everywhere you look, there is this scheme to reduce farming, which will reduce population. That was the whole theory of Thomas Malthus, that the uh, from the seventeenth, uh, uh, from the eighteenth and nineteenth century, that the population would surpass the ability to grow food. That is the agenda. And if you want to see what his actual writings were about it, you can find those at Principles of Population. Might as well call it up Principles of Depopulation. Wind generators or solar panels consume one-third of the farmland worldwide. This is what has inspired this, uh, this is what has inspired this thinking that we must reduce the population. War is a great tool for that, which is one of the reasons why we're pushing for world war. We've got wars everywhere. Do you realize that we might be engulfed into four wars at one time? I mean, that's possible. I know that there things seem to be calming down in Venezuela. But they're not coming down, obviously, in, in Israel, in Gaza. They're not coming down in Ukraine. 
things are, are ramping up. You know, you've got Vladimir Zelensky saying that he, he's going to reduce their military activity. Basically, he's trying to get more more aid to to buy off more oligarchs <clears throat> to to line his own pockets. But but as far as um, China, there's there it's just a matter of when of when they are going to invade Taiwan at some point. Could be tomorrow. Could be next year. I, I don't think it's going to take a decade. It could, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a, a crystal ball or anything like that, but I do think that that it's a foregone conclusion that at some point in the very near future they are going to invade. How involved will we be? That's a question for for politicians, but it's also a question for us. We need to make our voice voices heard on that issue. For those who don't know, I am very much. I don't want to be involved in any of it. I don't want to send aid to anybody. People say, oh, you know, but you have to support Israel. Look, I, great. Let's sell them weapons. Let's give them intelligence. Let's block block off the United Nations with our our UN Security uh, Council veto. We can still help them without having to send them aid, you know, direct aid. I'm sorry. I mean, again, if they want to buy weapons, awesome, awesome. Let them. I hope they do. Nah, I don't hope they do because then that empowers more more empowers the military industrial complex, which is a whole other can of worms. Anyway, back to the article. They insist that industrial agriculture, which is uh, employed by the majority of the develop, developed world, is creating climate change. The U.S. food system uh, contributes nearly 20% of the nation's carbon dioxide emissions. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which we talked about earlier, says that agricultural land has uh, used contributes 12% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Then they add the embodied energy uh, required for industrial agriculture, and they claim that this gets worse. The manufacturer, uh, uh, the manufacture and use of pesticides and fertilizers, fuel and oil for tractors, equipment, trucking and shipping, electricity for lighting, cooling and heating, and emissions of carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and every possible greenhouse gas they can think of increases the impact up to between 25% to 30%, which is the number used by John. Carry, uh, let's let's go ahead and play play Mr. Carry. Agriculture contributes about 33 percent of all the emissions of the world, uh, depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of eight billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. Emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. A two degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists, as a basis of physics and mathematics, not ideology and politics or party labels or anything else. As a matter of physics and mathematics and some biology and chemistry have told us these are the consequences and we already see it happening. And almost everything they've predicted for 30 plus years now is coming true. But the problem is it's coming through faster and bigger than was in fact predicted. 
They really do hate us, and they think we're stupid. On top of all that, they hate us, and they think we're stupid. And they probably hate us because they think we're stupid. Who knows? Maybe they just hate us because we exist. But it... it... Anyway, in other words, they want to reduce agriculture, shipping, refrigeration, air conditions, and turn off heat in the winter, and reduce the population by 30 to 40%. And maybe they would be satisfied. And I disagree on that. I don't think they want 30. I think they want it down. Uh, I mean, just using their numbers, they want it down about 80%, 90%. So, hmm, maybe less than that. 90, 93%, I guess, would get us down to, to about half a, half a billion people. That's that's what they said in the Club of Rome back in the in the 60s and 70s. Hmm? Maybe that's what they used to say on the, the Georgia Guidance Stones that are no longer there, apparently. Crazy. They get to impose their tyrannical policies with absolutely zero evidence to support their theory because they ignore that natural cycles have existed for millions of years. Climate has always changed. The temperatures have not exceeded historical norms. The data from NYC shows that we have not exceeded the highs of 1932 and the days of the Dust Bowl. The mainstream media only repeats what they are never what they are told and never does any mainstream media dare to investigate anything and that's that's part of the problem i wouldn't say that's the entire problem but that is definitely part of the problem i am going to get to one more story i can dwell on that one but talking about um, a warning signs this is something and i'll admit i the only reason i was going to skip this story was because i have not actually read it so we're going to read it together this is on my list to read but it's been on my list to read since december 4th so i might as well get to it with the time that we have remaining this is by a site that I haven't read before. It's called SheFinds.com. SheFinds.com by Faith Geiger. I hope I pronounced her name right. Uh, but the the, <clears throat> the title intrigued me. I think I found this probably over at uh, LouRockwell.com or someplace like that. Maybe, I don't know, wherever I found it. It's been, again, it's been since December 4th, sitting in my, uh, sitting in my uh, browser, uh, waiting for me to get to it, and I still never read it. So we're going to read it together here, at least part of it. Seven foods you may not be able to buy in the grocery store in 2024 stock up before they're gone. So this ties in with what, I was, what I've been saying the whole time. As we prepare to step into 2024, it's important to know what changes are to come over the next year, including the changes that might come to the uh, selection of items at grocery stores. In 2023, we faced scarcity of several products from toilet paper to, to sriracha. I didn't know we had, I, I don't buy sriracha. But I didn't know we had a sriracha shortage. That, that's news to me. Now, there are a few other items that may be, become harder to find over the next 12 months. Factors like environmental challenges, labor shortages, and more could pose a risk to the availability, quality, and affordability of certain spices, dairy products, eggs, seafood, grains, fresh pro produce, and meat and poultry. I guess that's the whole list, right? That's seven, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I, we don't have to read any more, do we? No, we should. Here's a closer look at the challenges each category is facing and some alternative options for savvy shoppers. Spices. We're going to skip that. And not, not, I want to be clear. Spices are very important. They really are. Okay. Um, I don't want to skip that because because I'm saying that, that you know, you shouldn't pack spices. Um, it's because it's, there's, it's pretty simple. There are health benefits to them. Spices are great for you. Some of them are. Some of them are definitely not. <laughs> but... Um, if you are going to, to get into pre preparedness, survival, prepping, whatever you want to call it, then there's, there are very easy ways to store spices. You can get, get these little containers that are way too expensive. I say, just make your own. It's pretty easy. And I'll, I'll cover that 
topic another day. Um, but I'm going to skip that one for the sake of time because there's there's more important products to talk about. Dairy products, that's important. We need those. And not just pea milk because <laughs> that's not dairy. Uh, many people keep their fridge stocked with dairy products like milk, cheese, and butter at all times. However, the unfortunate truth is that you may run into the issue of limited availability and higher prices of these items in 2024. These issues stem from a few complications, including the escalating feed costs for cows caused by grain growth issues. Additionally, labor shortages and extreme weather events such as floods, droughts, and heat waves further stress dairy production. Yikes! It might just be time to embrace plant-based milk alternatives like almond, soy, and oat milk. Presents, uh, uh, presents, sorry, learning to read, a sustainable and nutritious substitute. I'm going to just... Uh, like I said, I didn't read this article. We're going in blind. I'm going to disagree there. You can store long-term storage, both both milk and definitely cheese and even butter. Okay, there's this there's this nasty rumor that you can't you can't store those items because fat is so hard to store, and that's true. But if you have them freeze dried, okay, and you seal them up properly, I've got plenty, too, too many actually. Number ten cans of um, of uh, long-term storage butter. They have a 10-year shelf life. It's not as long as most freeze-dried foods because it is a fat, and fat fat goes rancid pretty quickly. Um, but 10 years is is enough. And here's the thing: <clears throat> as much as I always say, protein, 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 you gotta have protein, 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 because that's going to be what they're attacking. It's clearly what they're attacking. And as far as the food supply goes, if things do go very, very south, and let's say that you're stuck bugging in for years at a time, it's the oils that you'll run out of first. Okay, even if you keep your oils sealed, you know, let's say you've got plenty of olive oil, which I would recommend having plenty of olive oil, even if you have them perfectly wrapped, you know, you, you do everything you can to keep all the critters and all the sunlight and all the heat away from them, <clears throat> you still only have, you know, two, I think it goes, I don't, don't quote me on this one because it's been a long time since I investigated, but it's somewhere between 18 months and three years, I think, is the max that you can get out of that. It might be less than that, but, you know, bottom line is that when, if you can get uh, long-term storage butter and long-term storage milk and long-term storage cheese that won't just help you with the obviously the calcium and the protein but also the necessary fats because you have to have fats okay you do um this whole rumor that fats are super super bad for you there are fats that are definitely bad for you as we mentioned before but animal-based fats like these are generally not i'm not saying that as a nutritionist don't quote me on that and say oh rucker said go eat as much much uh, beef fat as you can get. Get tallow and just drink it. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that you should <laughs> shouldn't fear animal fats the way that they try to make us. Eggs. Number three, eggs. You may remember that egg prices reached an all-time high earlier in 2023, and while we may be recovering from that fiasco, there are still a few issues present that could uh, keep prices high and availability low. Challenges that could contribute to egg scarcity in 2024. Avian flu outbreaks, which we talked about, yada, yada, yada. Best solution. And this is this is one of those things where I consider this to be truly one of God's great gifts to mankind, and that is chickens. Okay? Chickens turn the ground into protein, into delicious eggs. If you can get out of the cities, if you can get out of the suburbs, if you can get to the point where you can raise chickens, my gosh, that's the best thing you can do. And my, like my aunt, she raises chickens. She's in a suburb and she raises chickens in the backyard and the neighbors hate her for it, but she does it anyway. And they have the best eggs. Oh, so scrumptious, so scrumptious. And it doesn't take a whole lot of land. 
you know, you want to keep your, I'm not suggesting, you know, have inhumane conditions. Make sure you do have enough space for them, enough dirt for them, enough grubs and whatever feeds you need to get, you know, but they can live off, they can basically, again, turn the ground into protein and delicious protein at that and fat as well. They're, they're, they're miraculous. There's nothing short of miraculous. Chickens are a true gift from God and take advantage of that. And if not, worst case scenario, you can also buy freeze dried eggs. Um, and we will probably be selling those, by the way, at Whole Cows sometime in 2024. We're we're still we're still testing it out. I want to make sure that we can get get good stuff. They, and eggs generally have also a shorter shorter shelf life than most other freeze dried foods. I think it's around eight or ten years for eggs, egg powder. So, number four, seafood. As it turns out, there may not be plenty of fish in the sea. Fish isn't only a delicious source of protein; it is also incredible for your health. And I wholeheartedly agree. I love eating salmon. I even get salmon skins because, uh, well, anyway. For this reason, many of us purchase seafood on a regular basis. There are a few issues that could make that more difficult in 2024, though. Overfishing, climate change, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I, I got to stop anytime they start blaming climate change for the reason it's the other way around. <laughs> it's it's the other way around, folks. So we'll skip that. But the, the truth is that there is, we are seeing seafood prices go up. We're also seeing... Uh, more scarcity. It's getting harder to find the fish. And it's not because there, there's not enough out there. There is plenty. It's because of other factors, which I don't think we have time to get into today. So we won't. Number five, not important though. Yeah. And like I said, if you if you do have the resources where you can move out to land that has, has a river or lake, oh, awesome. You know, if you can go fishing, you know, to, uh, to teach a man to fish, you get the idea. So yeah, that's another another wonderful gift again from God. There's a reason why why uh, Jesus went to make fishers of men, not just because they they uh, they could also fish for fish. <laughs> Number five, grains are another crucial component of a balanced diet. But as you we mentioned above, global climate issues. Uh, there is going, and we have seen this. I'll go. I'm I'm gonna ad lib here. And go against this this woke plan. Oh, climate change, grains, climate change, cows, climate change. Uh, okay, we'll keep that in mind about shefinds.com. So, <clears throat> like I said, I didn't read this beforehand. The uh, when it comes to we we did see some major shortage, major major shortages of rice to the point that it's it's like a lot of countries are starting to to not export them anymore. India in particular. Okay, we're having challenges here in the United States. I think the rice crop in California was the lowest in history, or at least in in recent history. China, of course, has been hoarding rice for a decade now. Okay, they have like two thirds of the of the rice in the world stockpiled. Rice is good because it's it is nutritious, and you can store a whole lot of it uh, for a long period of time. Um, rice, if you uh, put it with beans, you get a good mix of amino acids, and you could literally survive off rice and beans for an extended period of time. So. It would get boring, <laughs> but that's why you got the spices we mentioned above. Number six, fresh produce. Um, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it is true. We are having farming issues on vegetables and fruits um, and nuts and everything. But that's a matter of, you know, do, do you grow your own? Preferably, if you can. I don't want to keep harping on that. But if you can, grow your own. Grow your own. If not... Go ahead and start getting more more buckets of of uh, vegetables because you definitely need those leafy greens in particular. And last but not least, meat and poultry. Most Americans rely on meat and poultry for protein, and most Americans are not aware that Whole Cows has an unprecedented sale right now. If you go to Whole Cows Whole, WholeCows.com 
and use promo code one time twenty five. It's all one word. W R O. Jeez, oh, spelling everything wrong. O N E um, T I M E uh, twenty five. The number twenty five. One time twenty five. All one word. You get twenty five percent off. Gosh, I butchered that one at the end. That's it, folks. Lord willing, I will be back very soon with another episode. But in the meantime, you all stay strong, stay safe, and God bless.